This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Welcome to The Law School Show. I'm Celeste Robitaille. I'm sitting down with Mike Hook, lawyer, entrepreneur, and owner-operator of Intrepid Law in Toronto. Welcome, Mike. I want to start things off by asking you to tell us a little bit about your firm and what you do in your practice. Uh, yeah, so Intrepid Law, it's Toronto-based, uh, but you know, obviously practice law anywhere in Ontario, uh, and we're focused on serving uh, socially, environmentally, and ethically responsible entrepreneurs. Um, so you know, as opposed to having a particular uh, industry focus, uh, we're more focused on uh, the small business, the entrepreneurial side of, of small business, uh, but more who the clients are as opposed to uh, what it is that they do. Um, so, you know, that gives me a, a really broad opportunity to help a lot of people in a number of different areas. And, uh, you know, frankly, it, you know, I don't have to work with jerks because uh, the, the people who tend to have a, a bottom line to their business that is beyond just profit. Obviously, profit's an element of it because you got to put food on your table. But, you know, they... They're, they're looking to build something bigger than themselves uh, and for purposes that you know align with my value set. Um, so you know, working with people like that means that you know, it's awfully easy to get up in the morning. Uh, and you know, it's, I'm excited to work with uh, the, the people that I get to work with um, and, and help them to grow their business. Um, so been intrepid law, I've been practicing uh, for about five years now. Um, five and a half, um, and you focus only on solicitor's work. Uh, so we don't go to court. Uh, we don't go in front of administrative tribunals, except for once, and that's a good reminder for why we don't go in front of uh, administrative tribunals. But um, so you know, we're focused on helping people to build their business uh, rather than, uh, hopefully, rather than taking it apart. Cool. Very cool. Uh, so what does a day in the life of Mike Hook look like? <laughs> uh, I'm not a morning person. So uh, when I'm, uh, you know, sort of typical day back in Toronto is I'll uh, you know probably get up around 7:30 or 8 o'clock. Uh, I'll go to the gym, uh, get my get my morning workout in, um, you know sort of do some do some chores around the house. I work from home, so uh, do some chores around the house because if my space is orderly, then I find my thoughts are orderly, um, and usually start working about 10 o'clock. Uh, so I'll book my first appointments or calls or whatever for 10 o'clock in the morning. So that gives me sort of a hard deadline by which I have to start. Uh, and you know, usually it's a, a meeting with somebody or a phone call with somebody. Um, then after that, I move into my, um, you know, into my, my day-to-day practice, whatever it is I have to do that day. Um, you know, I, I set it up so I only answer my email twice a day. Um, so I answer it at, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning and, and then four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, by the time that the clients come in, they've sort of dumped out whatever is in their email. It's in my email. Uh, I can deal with it, respond to it. Uh, and then if that gives me something that I need to do during the day, I've got enough time. Uh, and then by, you know, by four, by the time four o'clock runs around, uh, then I've got, you know, their, their sort of end of day stuff uh, or their responses to whatever I sent them. And, uh, you know, I find that really clears up at the, the middle of my day, because I'm not worried about constantly checking messages or constantly being distracted. It really allows me to focus on what I do. Um, so I usually put in like a few, a couple hours of work till 
early afternoon. Uh, then I take a sort of a brain break. Um, if I'm dog sitting or something, that's a, a, an excellent excuse for a brain break. Um, but something that, you know, do something different, get the blood flowing. Um, and then usually, you know, sort of late afternoon, uh, I hit my, I hit my stride, um, and, you know, sort of get things done most efficiently. And, you know, sometimes I'll work until the working's done. Sometimes I, uh, I work until, uh, I don't feel like working anymore. Um, so really, really the, the length of day and everything depends on how much, uh, how much I have to do. Um, but, you know, obviously don't have control over it all the time. Uh, but I've tried to set up my entire practice uh, so that I don't have to work evenings and I don't have to work weekends uh, unless I want to uh, or unless, you know, sometimes when there's a, there's a transaction happening or, you know, occasionally you'll get pieces of work that just own your life for a while uh, and that goes with the territory. So the, you know, the trade-off for that is, you know, after I get out of one of those periods, uh, some days I just wake up and I don't work. I just don't feel like working. So I might cancel a couple of appointments or something. Hope none of my clients whose appointments I've canceled and missed. But, um, you know, if I, especially if I don't have anything to do that day, um, you know, I just take the day off, yes. go to the park, read a book. So it sounds like you've got um, a little bit more control over your, like, work-life balance, would you say? Um, you know, I, I disagree with the concept of a work-life balance. Okay. I think it's just life. Okay, yeah. Um, and you have a number of different demands on your time in your life but you only have 24 hours in a day. Right. Um, so unless you're really good at quantum physics, you probably can't make more time in the day. So how do you use that and how do you prioritize it? Right. Um, and a fundamental part of my practice is, uh, and a part of my business is recognizing that, uh, you know, work is a part of it, it's an important part of it, um, but there are things that are more important to me than my practice. Uh, and those are, you know, my personal relationships, uh, my family and um, you know my my mental well-being uh, and for me you know, a lot of that mental well-being is you know downtime to think um, you know not recreation time not like activity time not right. like oh, okay now I'm gonna go and do this and I'm gonna watch that and I'm gonna play this but just to, to stop and to sit and to think um, and to you know, sort of process all the things that have happened um, you know, check in with myself physically, take care of myself physically, take care of myself mentally. Um, and, you know, the, the, I prioritize uh, my, you know, my state of mind and my, my health and my well-being uh, and learning uh, and my, you know, my personal relationships, because uh, I guess all those things are related. Yeah. Um, I prioritize those ahead of my work. Have you always had this, um, such a strong idea of mental and physical well-being? Like when you were going through law school, did you also kind of have that handle on um, keeping yourself well in order to work well? Um, to an extent, yes. Uh, I think it's certainly developed since I've been practicing. Um, you know, the fir uh, I guess the first piece of it was the you know, physical fitness. Um, you know, coming from... Uh, uh, you know, my, my parents don't necessarily live the most healthy, uh, healthy lifestyle. Uh, and, you know, I sort of vowed that it wasn't something that I was going to do right. uh, to myself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I spent 17 years in the army before going to, uh, before going into practice. So, you know, having that appreciation for the value of physical fitness. Um, and, you know, if you, your brain is part of your body, uh, and if your body is unhealthy, then, 
you know, that's going to have an effect on your ability to think. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, from a pure business perspective on your ability to, to sell and, to, you know, the, the energy level in order to get things done. And, um, you know, if, if you don't take care of your body, you only get the one. Yeah. As far as I know, you only get the one. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you don't treat it well, you know, your opportunity to, uh, to live a, a fulfilling, long and fulfilling life is uh, greatly reduced. Right, definitely. Um, so switching gears a little bit, what do you think are some of the more important skills or traits that make up an, a successful entrepreneur? Um, a successful entrepreneur or a successful lawyer entrepreneur or a successful lawyer? <laughs> well, maybe we'll start with entrepreneur, but would you say that maybe those same skills go hand in hand with a lawyer entrepreneur or do you see different skills differentiating those two, entrepreneur versus entrepreneur lawyer? Uh, well, they're different situations, I guess you're in. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I think all lawyers should be entrepreneurs because um, at the end of the day, whether you're in sole practice, whether you're in big practice, whether you're uh, working for the government, whatever it is, um, if you don't set the conditions for your own success, it's highly likely that nobody's just going to come along and offer you what you want. Um, so, you know, a, a fundamental uh, appreciation of you know, being able to get clients, uh, knowing how to get clients and how to keep clients and maintain those relationships uh, is for any lawyer uh, the, the most important skill. Right. Because uh, whether you're at a big firm, whether you're at a small firm, uh, if you have clients, you have negotiating power. Mm -hmm. um, you look at some of the big firms that, you know, when they fell apart, the reason they fell apart is because some lawyers had all the clients who were bringing in all the business and everybody else was just living off of that. Right. And they said, well, why am I paying, you know, I'm making this money. Why am I paying your salary? Right. You know, what do you, why don't I just go off and do my own thing? So they left. Um, whereas if you have your own practice, like I do, uh, if you don't have clients and you don't eat, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, I like eating. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, I think, a more immediately necessary skill for the lawyer entrepreneur. Uh, but I think every lawyer needs to have an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset to building their practice. Um, and you know, that there's no magic formula to that all it is, is, you know, setting goals. Right. Uh, understanding why you want to achieve those goals uh, and then approaching the achievement of those goals in a systematic way. Okay. Um, and fundamentally what we do as lawyers is we build and maintain relationships with clients, with lawyers, with uh, institutions, with judges, with you know all the people you interact with. Um, and the quality of those relationships will dictate the your ability to achieve what it is you want to achieve. Um, so, you know, that's, I think at the heart of the entrepreneurial mindset, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, they built their own business. They're a self-made person. There's no such thing. You are the product of your network and you are the direct product of people's willingness to help you. Um, so, you know, all of those things wrapped up together, um, you know, maintaining relationships is, I think is the key to everything, mm -hmm. um, to selling, to, um, you know, to keeping clients, to marketing, to branding, to networking, uh, to learning, to personal growth, uh, because those are the thing, you know, it's those relationships that will generate the opportunities that you have to, to learn and to grow. Right. So did you, would you say that law school helped to hone those, 
the, that idea of those skills or those traits that you have of a lawyer entrepreneur and entrepreneur, or was that something you learned later on on your own? Uh, I think the informal curriculum right. of uh, of law school, you know, with any with any learning institution, there's the formal curriculum that teaches you the the skill set, uh, and there's the informal curriculum where you know, most law students don't realize that they're already networking, uh, and that the relationships that they're building now uh, will either come back to haunt them or come back to help them uh, in the rest of their lives, uh, because you know when people leave. The, the halls of fauteuil, they're, they're going to go on to do a huge variety of different things. Uh, and some people you'll never see again. Uh, some people you may see every day for the rest of your life. Um, so you know, that, I, I think Ottawa's got a, an advantage over um, you know, my impression of other schools, uh, just based on the, the graduates and people I've talked to uh, in the, the collegial approach where it's a cooperative approach to, to learning and, okay, we're all in this together and, you know, can we share summaries and can we get together and study and uh, let, let's work together and, you know, be better than the sum of our parts as opposed to a, a competitive environment of, you know, there are 10 jobs at such and such a firm and I'm going to get one of them and if I have to step on your head to do it. Um, so that, that, that networking, I think, began, I don't think I realized I was doing it at the time. Right. Um, but... You know, many of those relationships that I built through there and through articling, you know, most people at law school go on to become lawyers. Uh, and the likelihood that they're doing something that competes with you directly, it's pretty slim. Um, and the likelihood that somebody's going to come up to them and say, hey, uh, you're a lawyer. Do you, uh, so I need child custody of such and such. Uh, and you say, well, I don't do that, but my friend so-and-so does. Uh, and then so-and-so is going to get somebody that comes along and needs something that you do and they don't do, uh, and hopefully they'll think of you. Mm -hmm. A little bit of reciprocity. Yeah, 100%. Nice. Um, so when did you know that opening a solo practice was the right move for you? Uh, probably about a year after I did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I knew that I didn't want to, I articled on Bay Street. Uh, I knew it was not a good fit. Uh, I didn't know just how bad of a fit it was until about three or four months after, um, where I, you know, I took some time to uh, just think and reflect on, okay, I, I set this goal of going to law school and becoming a lawyer, and now I've achieved it, and now what? Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go the, the absolute opposite direction, so I started looking for jobs in small firms. Um, but as I was looking for these jobs and going through interview processes, people just kept coming to me and asking me for help. Um, and I was, I guess, lucky in the sense that one of my first, I think my second client, uh, is still a client today. Uh, and there's been about three or four months out of five and a half years of them being a client that I haven't sent them a bill for something. Um, so a, a steady, you know, they're a growing business that was just about to blow up. Um, and you know, they fit within my, my ethical mold and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but you know, I think the realization came. Uh, actually probably about six months after uh, when I gone, I was going through a set of negotiations with a law firm that, you know, for, a, for an associate's position, wasn't a particularly attractive job. The pay wasn't particularly attractive, but it was better than having no income. Uh, and so after dealing with the, these guys in negotiations, it came down to, uh, we were going back and forth about fee splitting. I said, okay, well, I have these clients. There's nothing in this employment contract about, you know, about fee splitting. So 
you know, what do I get of the business that I bring into the firm? And they said, well, we're not interested in fee splitting. We just want you to do our work. Um, I said, okay, well, thanks a lot. That's good to know. I went and I had a meeting with my first client uh, who was doing an employment contract for him. And at the end of it, uh, you know, we sort of hammered out the detail, the final details. He said, okay, make those changes uh, and then send me your bill. Um, and then he said something that I'd never heard anybody say to a lawyer in my, you know, 13 months experience on Bay Street. He said, thank you. Uh, and that just sort of rang a bell with me and we shook hands and go our separate ways. And I walked out of that meeting and think to myself, okay, well, why don't I just do this instead? Um, why would I take a job for, you know, $50,000 a year and work, you know, 1,700 to 2,000 or bill 1,700 to 2,000 hours, work 2,500 hours. Uh, so basically 20 bucks an hour. Uh, I'm betting against myself that I can't find, you know, 400 hours of legal work in a year, 300 hours of legal work in a year. Um, so uh, the next day I got up in the morning and sat down at my breakfast bar and look, opened up my laptop and said, okay, how do I get clients? <laughs> how do I do this? Um, and, you know, the five and a half years later, I'm still here. So that was your aha moment. Yeah. It was uh, rea realizing what I didn't want. Right. Um, and, you know, that, that there were other opportunities available to me. So looking back, when you think back on, um, maybe I can call it discomfort in the bigger firm on Bay Street, um, what, when you look back, what do you think were some of the signs or signals that it really wasn't a right, the right fit? Uh, I found it harder and harder to get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was reaching the point where, uh, you know, I sort of later, later on, I realized all the, uh, a lot more of the symptoms of, you know, unhealthy relationships, uh, and, you know, very temporary and transient relationships, uh, you know, a lot of excessive drinking, <laughs> uh, and, you know, sort of unhealthy life. You know, I was, if I was prioritizing those things ahead of what was supposed to be my profession, my trade, my career, um, there's something fundamentally wrong with my choice of career. <laughs> right. Uh, so by the end of by the end of articling and when I was called to the, if I didn't have to go to my bar call ceremony in order to be a lawyer, uh, I wouldn't have gone. Right. Uh, I was so disillusioned with the practice of law because I, you know, I'd been conditioned from day one of law school to believe that that was the the that Bay Street is the only path, and if you can't hack it on Bay Street, you're worthless. Um, and it, you know, it took a long time for me to uh, to realize uh, how little I knew right. about the practice of law. Right. So, what advice would you give then to someone who's looking for articling, um, but already knows maybe that they don't belong on Bay Street? Um, you know, <laughs> be honest. Um, the out of out of my group, uh, there were fourteen articling students uh, at my firm, uh, out of which. I think initially three got hired back uh, and then a fourth got hired back. Um, but there were several who realized partway through their article, or maybe they knew going in uh, that they wanted to open their own practice. And uh, they were, they were honest about it with the firm, with their articling principles uh, and the willingness of, the lawyers at that firm to help them, uh, to open up their network, to sort of introduce them to people that can help them, uh, people who have done that successfully in the past, uh, and to refer them clients. Because, you know, the, 
your opposite ends of the spectrum. And if they have a friend who needs, you know, an incorporation uh, for a, you know, a little mom and pop business, uh, then a Bay Street firm isn't the right fit. And they, you can't, they can't in good conscience send their friends to spend, uh, you know, five to 10 times as much on, uh, on a piece of legal work as they need to. Um, so that, you know, the, the referral of clients and, you know, the opportunity for mentorship from as early a stage as possible. Um, so if you know it's not for you and you've already got the job, like everybody knows you have to get your articles uh, or your clerkship or go through right. your LPP, whatever. You have to meet that requirement. It, those are hoops you have to jump through. Right. Um, and everybody knows that only a small percentage of big firm articling students get hired back. Um, so, you know, if, if you're honest with yourself and honest with the firm about it, uh, you're very, you're much more likely to have, uh, you know, one support, uh, and secondly, a, a positive relationship and a positive impression when you leave. Right. Okay. Thanks. Um, so do you think you've always had an entrepreneurial spirit? <laughs> um, I guess so. Um, I would say, you know, when I was a little kid, I had my own uh, snow shoveling company, uh, with, you know, my dad did business cards up for me and I would go around and I, I didn't, I don't think I have a very good value proposition, but my, uh, it, it, it invariably snowed on, uh, on New Year's Eve. Uh, so New Year's Day, I would like I'd get really good. <laughs> I'd get as much as I could shovel from the hungover. Uh, I'd go to like the student neighborhoods and say, oh, shovel your driveway for 20 bucks. And uh, so, you know, that sort of, between then and opening my own law practice, there was not much. Uh, but, you know, I was always, like, I was involved in, uh, in music and event promotion, which I, you know, so for me, you know, not a particularly profitable business, but uh, you know, still building a, building a skill set and building a networking set and, you know, an understanding of business transactions and that sort of relationship-based uh, approach to business. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I necessarily recognized it um, until after I already started my own practice, uh, but, you know, I, I think some of the seeds were already there. Right. So between um, running your own business, running your own practice, and the actual legal work involved, which do you find yourself enjoying the business side more? Do you find yourself it's about even? Um, there's certain types of legal work that I enjoy doing um, and certain types that I feel that I've kind of grown out of. Uh, so, you know, when I first started out, those, those things were interesting and exciting and challenging, but there's only a limited number of permutations of those. And sometimes more complex things will come up and I'll, I'll dig into it. Um, but I hired an associate uh, about a year and a half ago uh, to handle the, you know, the, the work that I didn't find interesting anymore uh, to free me up to focus on more of the transactional piece. Um, so I really enjoy like the deal-making aspect of it. Um, but I think even more I enjoy the, the business piece where you know, the, the going out, meeting people, uh, making the pitch, uh, you know, getting the client, um, you know, and then you know, sort of seeing people through to a resolution. Uh, I enjoy the aspect of helping people, helping people to build their business. Um, you know, the, the legal work itself, uh, you know, it has good days and bad days. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, very picky with, uh, with the way I write and, you know, I'm, I'm good at, you know, picking up, you know, drafting errors and things like that. Um, but as far as you know, some of the some of the more basic or routine things, uh, I don't really find a lot of fulfillment in. Uh, but 
you know, the, the opportunity to, uh, to pass those on to my associate and, you know, he can cut his teeth on them where they're, they're still a new and interesting and challenging and he's learning the whole time. Um, uh, and you know, then that sort of gives me a, a leadership opportunity as well, uh, and a chance to, to help him develop his own practice, uh, develop his own sales skills and better from the, uh, from the things that I've learned. So, um, they all wrap in together. Uh, but you know, the long-term view is to do probably much less in the way of the practice of law, uh, and more in the, uh, sort of big picture business concept of, you know, sort of tacking on different elements that relate to law, uh, and using the law and using the, uh, the networks and the, the skill set that I've built, uh, in order to, you know, bring various visions into being, I guess. It's a real generic way of describing it without giving too much away. Have you surprised yourself with how much you enjoy the business side? Uh, yeah, I'd say yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if surprise is the right word. Um, you know, I've always been always been pretty social. and well, I, was, I guess when you're a kid, they, they call it being a loudmouth. Uh, but when you're a lawyer uh, and... You know, people pay you pay you to listen to you talk. Uh, yeah, there's there's a certain enjoyment aspect in that. Um, but you know, like I said, it's fundamentally it's a relationship business, and I you know I really enjoy being around people and working with people and you know having conversations and sharing knowledge and sharing ideas. And you know, the the aspect of the client relationship that I like is they come to me with ideas, and the you know like some of the most of the most interesting ones I can't really talk about. But, you know, they're, they're just doing fascinating things. So I get to learn all this, like, really cool stuff while I'm in the course of putting together, you know, some fairly bare bones legal agreements. But in order to put together that, like, I have to understand how their business works and, you know, sometimes the underlying technology and, um, you know, the way entire industries work and, you know, interact in the sort of industry standards and things like that. Um, and, you know, with the way I've set my practice up, uh, it tends to attract people who uh, are innovating. Uh, I guess innovation is kind of an over overused word, but they're looking to to change the system, to adapt the system, to uh, to mold it, to change the way that people interact with the world. Um, and you know, moving in what we agree to be a positive direction. Um, so that you know, if that aspect is the business aspect, then yeah, that's what I enjoy most. Um, but as far as like, you know, doing the administrative month end and, you know, reporting and law society compliance and that sort of stuff, it's, you know, um, if there are people who enjoy that, please get a hold of me. <laughs> I'd like to pay you to do it for me. Uh, but do you hear that? <laughs> uh, but you know, the, yeah, I guess is a bit of a surprise, I guess, of, of more, I tend to enjoy things I'm good at. So I guess I was surprised that how effective I was or am at it right. and uh, you know it becomes enjoyable as a result of that right so I just have one last question for you what kind of advice would you give to any listeners about surviving the rest of law school surviving the rest of law school um, you know, I, I wouldn't view it as survival mm -hmm. uh, you know with every challenge is an opportunity uh, and law school is an opportunity to learn without pressure. Uh, even though you might feel pressure, 
uh, about the future and about your career choices and about what courses you're going to take and, and you know the marks that you get and are you going to get articling are you going to get jobs all that sort of stuff uh, all the same skill set that got you to where you are now uh, will continue to serve you well um, you know you logical thinkers um, you're you know smart you're hardworking uh, you're, you have an element of self-discipline all of those things, like you, you don't lose those skill sets after you after you graduate law school, uh, or just because you're in law school. Um, so all of this pressure that you're feeling, it's all entirely made up, and it's all entirely in your own mind. Uh, and as soon as you realize that, you accept, you know, it, it, it's okay to feel stressed out, and it's okay to feel anxious, and uh, you know, everybody does. Anybody who doesn't, you know, is pretending. Uh, but trust that the skill sets that got you here will get you through this and will continue to allow you to achieve what it is you set your mind to. Um, and once you're freed up of that pressure that you're putting on yourself, uh, it's much easier to see law school for the wonderful opportunity it is. You've got this collection of incredibly smart, motivated, uh, knowledgeable people, uh, not just your peers, but the professors who have these unbelievable in-depth understanding of subjects that are the building blocks of our society, uh, the building blocks of the way we organize ourselves as human beings. Uh, and you, these, we have the keys to it. Uh, and you have an opportunity to learn in a, in a structured setting uh, with, you know, okay, you, you fail the course, you go back and do it again. You know, it might cost you a little bit of money, but you know, there's, that's what there's Canada student loans for, right? Uh, but you take take that opportunity and seize that opportunity and, and you know, squeeze every drop out of it because you know once you're out and practicing, uh, you know there are other pressures that may may also be entirely in your own. But you know at some point you have to start putting food on your own table. Um, well, most of us do at least, and. You, you don't want to look back with regret of the things you could have done or you should have done uh, when you were in law school and you had the opportunity. Uh, you want to look back and, and say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with uh, the, that I got everything that I could out of that experience. Right. That's great advice. Thanks so Thank much you. for sitting down with me, taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thanks. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career advancing advice, right to your earbuds.